afternoon and welcome to your American heritage baby my name is Ed Bondarenka my pronouns are we and the people and I am not your normal fluffy insurrectionist now producing the show and the guy that answers your calls and tells me when to stop talking is the hardest working man in radio Derek Stone Derek hosts Stone Cold Sports Truth Sundays at noon 30 right after my friend Sean Todd on the intersection at noon not your normal fluffy Christian show. You should listen to both. And I also want to encourage you to listen to Abolitious Roundtable 9 a.m. on Saturdays like I do. And Trigger Talk at 11 with Dick Kupke. And Moment of Clarity at 1 p.m. where I co-host with Pastor Rick and Phil Stargell. Okay? Share your American heritage with your friends. Boost the signal. It's on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. And you can subscribe. It'll remind you that there's a new episode. It's the least you can do. Except for not doing anything at all. That's the least you can do. So I'm glad we cleared that up. It's day 710 of the coup. The theft of the American government by enemies both foreign and domestic. Our federal government has been stolen by the illegitimate actions of authoritarian activists. And they have no regard for you or yours. Only they and theirs. The revelations made by Elon Musk in taking over Twitter show that government agencies twisted the conversation to sway the electorate to choose the cabal that has taken over our government. Along with the violation of election law by politicians that had no constitutional right to do so. Now they insist you agree to their twisted moral perspective to assert that men can become women and women can become men and kids can become either. That babies can and should be killed indiscriminately. To alienate your children from you and their heritage as American citizens. Now this is spiritual warfare good versus evil stuff, and we are at war. I'm sad to say that many pastors are staying out of the fight or even gone over to the other side. Are you in the fight? Is your pastor in the fight? Encourage him to do so. Psalm 144 says, blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Please clasp your hands and your fingers. Let us pray. Let's go to war. Father, Please protect our nation. Please deliver us from these ungodly oppressors. Please enlighten our citizenry to the danger we find ourselves in. And please lead and guide the American people in the days to come in resistance to these efforts. Please give us righteous representatives in government. And please restore goodness and morality to the governance of our nation and our state. Amen. Now, I have no guest for today, so I'm winging it solo. I spent all morning on show prep when I'm actually not listening to other shows or calling in. And I can write uh, what they call temporaneously. That means, you know, off the top of my head. But ever since the event in high school debate where somebody took my notes prior to a debate and left me to talk off the top of my head, eh, it kind of spoiled me on speaking temporaneously. So I've got the first half done. 
but I could use calls in the second half. 734-822-1600. We'll have talk, topics to discuss, even what I'm about to present. But till then, Christmas was last week. I hope you enjoyed yours. Now, the Jewish Festival of Lights, Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, all the same thing, all occurred last week also. So if you're Jewish and celebrate that, I hope you enjoyed that. Some people have had a very rough time celebrating both uh, holidays last week. They flew Southwest Airlines, and there was a blizzard that affected the air transportation industry. So the whole thing was blamed on the weather, or climate change, if you prefer. But it mostly affected Southwest Airlines, and yet they all got hit by the same weather. Now, back in 1970, there was a blockbuster movie, Airport. That started the disaster movie genre, which led to other disaster movies, The Tower in Inferno, The Poseidon Adventure, and finally to the ultimate Christmas movie, Die Hard. Now, the movie Airport showed the heroic actions and decisions made by management, Burt Lancaster and George Kennedy, to avoid disaster. Now, in the Southwest Airlines scenario, management didn't do so well. Now, a friend of mine wrote, the truth is that the start of the meltdown was at Denver, where folks were told, and we're talking about airline employees, were told that if they called off sick, they had to have a doctor's note to return, and or they would be fired. Some quit, some simply did not show up, and others took additional sick days. He went on to write, with over 200 ramp folks not working in near blizzard conditions, that portion of Southwest shut down, stranding planes both at Denver and then since they could not be accommodated at other airports when those flights to Denver were canceled because there was no place for them to go. Once it began, it snowballed. Pretty sure it looked like planes, trains, and automobiles with planes without crews and crews without planes. Then the scheduling software got overloaded and the crash happened. But it began with a bunch of ramp workers being mistreated or fired or kept from working in a very busy holiday rush time, policies that led to a lack of workers essential to the operation. It's the end of what he wrote. Now, I also blame this somewhat on getting rid of employees due to their not wanting to take a damaging shot called the vaccine, one that, we, that has been proven to be harmful to people's health, proven to do nothing to stopping or preventing the very thing it was foisted for different story. So now continuing, what happened to Southwest Airlines? Well, I read, as some of you might have, an open letter from a Southwest pilot of 35 years. He said you could see this coming for a number of years. They started out with a great CEO who was an operations guy, a guy who knew how it worked and knew the people working, a good manager. He retired and was replaced by a finance guy. Now he made another finance guy the chief operations officer. There was little investment in upgrading technology. After all, how do you measure the return on investment in infrastructure? It's just also like, how do you measure the return on investment in uh, maintenance? How else on the, or where were the tools needed? He says, we needed to operate efficiently and consistently. When COVID happened, Southwest Airlines scaled back considerably, as did all of the airlines for about two years. This helped conceal the serious problems in technology, infrastructure, and staffing that were occurring and being ignored. One pilot wrote, and I quote, 
Our antiquated software systems failed, coupled with a decades-old system of having to manage 20,000 frontline employees by phone calls. No automation had been developed to run this sophisticated machine. We had a routine winter storm across the Midwest last Thursday. A larger than number of flights were canceled as a result. But what should have been one minor inconvenient day of travel turned into this nightmare. He goes on to say, after all, American United Delta and the other airplanes operated with only minor flight disruptions. He says, the two decades of neglect by Southwest leadership caused the airline to lose track of all its crews, all of us. We were there with our customers at the jet, ready to go. But there was no way to assign us, to confirm us, to release us to fly the flight. And we watched as our customers got stranded without their luggage, missing their Christmas holidays. So I say, so it seems this meltdown could have been avoided. But the finance guys had made so many decisions that impacted operations that there was this meltdown. I've also seen this in manufacturing, by the way. You watch it on the manufacturing floor and there's this whole tracking system. I've seen it a number of places I've worked where you have a database that manages the flow of parts, what gets used and what doesn't get used. And so everybody knows what to assemble and what not to assemble and what parts they can check out of inventory to put into the finished product. And when that database breaks down, you're left stranded. You don't know what to do and production grinds to a halt. So once again, it seems that this meltdown could have been avoided, but decisions were made that did not put the automation in place by finance guys. Now there was a movie that came out in the 50s that I've seen in reruns that was prophetic to this. The movie is Executive Suite with William Holden. In this movie, the CEO of a furniture company, and I believe it was in here in Michigan, but it's fictional, dies and there is a struggle for his position. Some, everybody wants to get be the new CEO. In a crucial scene, William Holden is addressing the board of directors about the direction the company has taken and picks up a chair made by the company and easily smashes it to tinder, telling them that decisions had been made that had cost them quality for economy. And if the company was to succeed, it would have to go back to providing quality product. Now he wasn't vying for the position, he was arguing for the future of the company. I saw that movie in 1989, 25 years after it was made. And it was as prescient then as when it had been filmed in 1954. And it's 69 years later in that movie, which deals with insider trading, short selling of stocks to profit by failure of the company. That's what short selling does. You say, I bet this company's gonna lose. And with your own company, which it was in that movie, that's really, that's, that's like betting on your team to lose. And the neglect of product and services, not keeping up with product and services, that's as topical today as it was then. Now, we know how this happens. We, it happens because decisions are made based on uh, financial reports only. I once had a president of a company I worked for, he wanted us to pull all of the production we could before the end of the month. And I said, why? He says, because I wanna see a good quarterly report. And I said, well, what happens after that? He says, we'll let the next month take care of itself. So decisions were made just to make a good quarterly report. Now I watched one of my favorite, because he had to please the investors. I watched one of my favorite Christmas movies again last night, the 1951 version of A Christmas Carol, or as it's titled here in the States, Scrooge. This of course is 
the absolute best version of the story on film with Alistair Sims as Scrooge. Scrooge had made his start in the financial world working as a clerk for Mr. Fezziwig. Now, you remember the scene where Mr. Fezziwig approached to sell his business to an investment firm, the Vested Interests? This is the scene. Come, come, Mr. Fezziwig. We're good friends, I think, besides good men of business. We're men of vision and progress. Why don't you sell out while the going is good? You will never get a better offer. This is the age of the machine and the factory and the vested interests. We small traders are old history, Mr. Fezziwig. <laughs> Dodos. Yes, sir, I dare say we are. And the offer is a very large one, I have to admit. But it's not just for money alone that one spends a lifetime building up a business, Mr. Jordan. <laughs> well, if it isn't, I'd like you to tell me what you do spend a lifetime building up a business for. It's to preserve a way of life that one knew and loved. No, I can't see my way to selling out to the new vested interests, Mr. Jorkin. I'll have to be loyal to the old ways and die out with them if needs must. Well, <laughs> you know what they say about time and tide, Mr. Fezziwig? They wait for no one. There's more in life than money, sir. No, I'm not saying a company shouldn't make money, but there's one thing that Fezziwig did that the vested interest didn't do, and that was pay attention to what's happening on the shop floor. So basically, that's the recap of Southwest and how something like that can happen to only one airline in a storm and not the others. And it's a tie into a Christmas movie. Now, I watched a couple other movies over the holidays. I highly recommend the movie I Heard the Bells. Sherry and I watched it online, and you can too. It's streaming through tomorrow for $14.99. That's the price of two tickets to a theater. You make your own popcorn, you have three days to watch it and enjoy it. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I don't get any money. I, nobody pays me to put this show on. I certainly don't have paid commercials. I'm telling you this for your benefit. It's the story of how Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the guy who was acclaimed America's poet, wrote the poem that inspired the Christmas Carol. I heard the bells on Christmas day. It's well-written and explains the lyrics and his motivation while watching through personal tragedy in his own life and the tragedy of the Civil War. How could there be peace on earth, he asks, and he discovers how. Once again, you can see this movie, I Heard the Bells, online today and tomorrow. Sherry and I watched another movie for free on YouTube, and it was a mind blower. It's called The Star of Bethlehem from Gravitas Films. It's a documentary about the star of Bethlehem. Imagine that. And it's narrated by a guy, a lawyer, who became interested in the star years ago because of his putting up uh, a nativity scene on his lawn. And it made him question, what about the star? So he got invited, you know, he got uh, interested in it, started looking it up. And, and this, he's done this presentation over the years, but now it's a movie you can watch on YouTube. I, I highly recommend it. So on my Christmas broadcast a couple weeks ago, I mentioned the prophetic writings that pointed to a coming Messiah and how they were fulfilled by Jesus. Now to me, as I said, one of the most important is one of the most neglected. Daniel, famous for the lion's den, as if that was the most important thing he'd ever done, wrote of a vision he was given regarding how many years it would be until Messiah came. Now the Magi knew these writings of Daniel. That's why they and Israel expected the Messiah about the time he came and why the Magi saw the star and knew to head to Israel to find him. 
Have you heard of the concept of an Easter egg in movies? Some little scene or dialogue that points to something big in another movie to come? I remember watching Iron Man when it came out in the theaters. My wife and I have long had a habit of sitting through the credits of a movie. And we sat through the credits of Iron Man with perhaps five other people in what had been a packed theater. When the credits were done, Tony, Spar Tony Stark appears on screen again in his office and Samuel L. Jackson walks in wearing an eye patch. I mean, my, I, I was just amazed. Anyone who read Marvel Comics as a kid knew that this was Nick Fury, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. He then announces to Tony Stark that he is forming the Avengers and then launched one of the biggest theatrical events that spanned 10 years, culminated in the death of Thanos in the last movie in the series. Now, I read Robin afterwards. I explained to Sherry the significance of that scene, who Nick Fury was and what this portended. The waiter heard me and he got excited. He had sat through the credits and seen it also and knew what it pretended. Most people missed it. They didn't stay through the credits, but it pointed to everything that was to come. I mention that because the Bible has lots of Easter eggs, lots of hidden gems begging to be found. The star of Bethlehem movie I mentioned, the star of Bethlehem from Gravitas Films talks about the discoveries using computers and modern astronomic software that tracks the stars in the sky going thousands of years back. Remember, scientists have discovered that basically the universe, our galaxy in particular, the stars in the sky are one big clockwork and they can predict with extreme accuracy down to almost a second of where a star or planet will be at any given time. Now, in very understandable terms, in the documentary, speaking to a group of people of all ages and most importantly, genders, he explains how he got started and what he discovered and what it means. What blew me away was his, uh, his just jaw-dropping explanation of Revelation 12.1. Here's this verse that sounds like some mystical vision that John says he saw in the sky and what he was seeing was something much more concrete than that. Like all prophecy, if what he can see, what he saw can be explained in part, then it points to the validity of what he saw in whole. In other words, the rest of the book of Revelation. Much like when Daniel gives his timeline for the arrival of Messiah in 483 years, he gives a reference to what will happen in 49 years, which was the restoration of the temple in Jerusalem. Something that seemed absurd and impossible when he wrote it and yet became true nonetheless. So if what John saw in the sky in Revelation 12, 1 was true, so is the rest. What he wrote was, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and he cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and unto his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God so that they should feed her there a thousand, two hundred and threescore days. So there's this Easter egg right in the book of Revelation that points to the nativity of Jesus Christ, points to the appearance of the star and the alignment of the planets and stars to fulfill John's vision as he predicted with the accuracy of an atomic clock. 
we know when the star appeared. Watch the movie, The Star of Bethlehem from Gravitas Films. I'm gonna tell you, it's, 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 it was staggering when he shows on his software on screen, which anybody can get this software. This is not something he built, all right? Scientists use this. It reminds me of the time that uh, my friend uh, um, Ron, who used to go uh, work with me in, in GM, he would travel the world looking for eclipses. He would actually buy a ticket and he'd fly off to some far off country, Fiji Islands, Philippines, Hawaii, Europe, and he would be there. And we used my Commodore 64 software to determine his best vantage point for looking at the eclipse. And it never failed him, never failed him. And this is, this is uh, 30 years ago. Commodore 64, imagine what they're doing now with computers, what they know about celestial mechanics. And so here is John in the book of Revelation and he's talking about, he says that uh, a woman clothed with the sun, that's the constellation Virgo and the moon under her feet. At that point, there was a crescent moon under Virgo and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. Well, everybody thinks that that's, you know, the, 10, the 12 tribes of, of uh, Israel. There were 12 stars crowning the constellation of Virgo. But I obviously can't explain this as well as he does in the movie. And it's so exciting. I, I just think it'd be a good, uh, it's free. It'd be a good use of your time to check this out. Very, very encouraging. So um, that's pretty much what I have for the first half of the show. I have some other stuff to talk about, some uh, clips to play. And uh, Derek, how much time do we have? We have like a minute and a half? Two minutes. I have to fill two minutes, folks. Just uh, meandering. So I'd like you to call after the show, or after the, uh, I'm sorry, after the commercials. Don't call after the show. That'd be useless. And um, the number is 734-822-1600. And we could talk about a number of things. We could talk about current events, a couple of the clips I'm about to play. Uh, we could talk about your upcoming resolutions like we were talking about on Moment of Clarity. And uh, if you want to talk about any of the, the uh, high events that happened in the previous year, the last day of this year. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is a thing and it's, it's the way it works. Uh, this was, uh, in many ways, this, this year had its highs and lows. We uh, won a major court case and we lost a major election. It's... You know, it's an opportunity for much prayer. Oh, let's see now, Derek, how much time do I have to fill now? <laughs> One minute. Maybe we can start the music early. Um, I just want to say that uh, I had a blessed Christmas because I had food in my belly, roof over my head, and I trust you had the same. Um, I trust you were surrounded by family and friends and uh, you had a church service to go to. And um, yeah, I, we have to look at the positive things and that's one of them. So um, having said that, I have one minute to go and the music is 30 seconds long. Folks, I could repeat myself, but I don't wanna do that. Um, darn, I got nothing else. I, I don't have enough time to, to actually start telling you about Kwanzaa because that's something I'd hope to do. Uh, Kwanzaa, the uh, made up festivity 
um, made up in uh, California of all places uh, in 1967, I think, 66, that's still going on right now. But we'll talk about that when we come back. So come on back after the show, after the show again, after the uh, commercials, and I'll see you then. Your American Heritage. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous. We were warriors on the front lines, standing unafraid. Well, thanks for returning to Your American Heritage, baby. I'm your host, Ed Bondarenko. The last broadcast of Your American Heritage of this year. Not the last broadcast, but of this year. Excuse me, I'm going to take a sip of water here. My goodness. <clears throat> excuse me, right on. Whoa. If you'll excuse me. Good, I hit the mute button before I cleared my throat. Wow, dead air. Wow. So we have a caller, Joe, but before we get to our caller, Joe, I'm going to give him something else to talk about. So, Joe, I'm going to leave you um, on hold for a minute here, okay? Uh, and other callers, feel free to call because there was this guy named Dr. Robert Scott. He had bought J. Vernon McGee's church, the church at the open door, and he had a cable show. And I watched it, and I thought, this is amazing. The guy's just sitting there smoking a cigarette, not saying anything, showing pictures of his wife and his horse farm and everything else, waiting for people to call in and to give him money. I don't want money, I just want people to call in. So uh, the number is 734-822-1600. We don't want that kind of a show. Now still Kwanzaa, like I was saying, in the United States, and Nancy Pelosi had this to say about it. In which everyone a happy, healthy, and safe New Year, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Schwanza, happy Hanukkah, whatever it is you celebrate, be safe. Happy Schwanza. I mean, there's a joke in there somewhere, but mostly it has to do with her drinking habit. Now, I don't know if you remember the firestorm in the press when Dan Quayle spelled potato with an E on the end, but when Nancy flubs a <clears throat> major American holiday, and insults a large portion, maybe, of the populace, it's a nothing burger. Well, here's our vice president, Kamala, Carmela, Kumala Harris. Uh, you remember when Tucker uh, was, uh, uh, you know, castigated for mispronouncing her name? You know, well, it's not like saying Schwanza, is it? And she's wishing us all a happy Kwanzaa. Hello, everyone, and happy Kwanzaa. Doug and I send our warmest wishes to all of you this holiday season. During Kwanzaa, we celebrate the history and heritage of the African-American community and the African diaspora. Growing up, Kwanzaa was always a special time. We came together with generations of friends and family and neighbors. There were never enough chairs, so my sister and I and the other children would often sit on the floor, and together we lit the candles of the Kanara. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a little bit longer than that, but I can't subject it, subject you too much more of that. I mean, 
what a load of horse hockey. Come on, you know? And uh, Kwanzaa is celebrated by about, the last check was about 1.8% of the population. So, I mean, they must have all been in her living room as a child. And let's review. She would be about like four years old or so when Kwanzaa was instigated in 1966. And it really didn't catch any traction until the 80s. So, uh, I mean, my goodness, she's lying again. Like uh, when she said she smoked dope listening to two, it was a Tupac Shakur's album. Of course, he was, uh, he hadn't done that album yet. And by the way, she put so many other people for smoking dope after that event that she's, it's just a disgusting disgrace to America as a as a vice president. But to tell you about Kwanzaa a little bit, it was uh, created by a guy named Ronald McKinley Everett, who renamed himself Maulana Karenga. Okay, now, you know, at least he didn't change genders. He just changed names. And uh, the guy had a criminal record. And uh, he said during the early years of Kwanzaa, Karenga said it was meant to be an alternative to Christmas, that Jesus was psychotic. And that Christianity was a right white religion that black people should shun. However, as Kwanzaa gained mainstream adherence, Gregor altered his position so that practicing Christians would not be alienated. Yeah, right. Any practicing Christian who would think of celebrating this phony baloney holiday during the celebration of the birthday, whether it's on the right day or not, of their savior, you know, they need to go to church more often, or at least the right church. So uh, in 1971, Karenga was sentenced to one to 10 years in prison on counts of felonious assault and false imprisonment. That's because he was beating a couple of his girlfriends with uh, whipping them with electrical cords, okay? Now, Karenga explained his attempts, his actions by saying that one of the women he had tortured and attempted to assassinate him, but he had no evidence. So it was all right for him to beat her because she was attempting to, I mean, what a, what a crowd. You know, compare and contrast Jesus and Joseph, wise men, shepherds, angels in the sky, right? Our nativity scene. So there is that. Uh, it, you know, basically the seven precepts of Kwanzaa are nothing but Marxism in disguise. So that's Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa or Schwanza, as Nancy would tell you. So let's take a call from Joe because I asked for a call and Joe complied. Hi, Joe. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Yes, I did. And you? Yes, I did. Like I said, I wasn't hungry. I wasn't freezing. I got a wonderful Christmas present from my wife that I might describe. I kind of described it on um, on a Trigger Talk with Dick Kupke. And, uh, yes, I heard I, that. Yeah. So, boom. So, well, that's good. What do you want to call good. about? Yeah, amen, brother. Exactly. Uh, think of all the people that have less now that it's after Christmas due to Biden inflation and recession, more people in soup lines and whatnot than ever before. I wasn't going to say that, but since, you know, what you said lends to it. And on my website, terrorstrikes.info slash charity. Please go there and support some of the local Michigan charities as well as national and international are on there too. But yeah, I called about Quanta, but first I gotta say, did you hear 
the explanation of why Die Hard is indeed a Christmas movie and not just because it takes place on Christmas. That's our friend, Pastor um, uh, from uh, uh, our saving. Oh, Derek, come on, help me here. Is it our Savior Cohen? Lutheran. I can't remember his name. I'm at a, I'm at a brain fart. Chris Toma. Toma? Thank you, Pastor Christopher Toma. Been on the show, friend. And I'm, I'm sorry about that, Chris, if you're listening. I trust you are. So go ahead. Yeah. He had an excellent explanation yeah, for that. I, uh, I, I didn't recognize that it was him. But yeah, him saying just her name, Holly, a Christmas reference. And her saying when Ethan or whatever his name was tries to pose uh, as John's friend. To, you know, uh, and he's going to be killed. And uh, uh, what she says about, uh, oh, I forgot. Oh, God. He thinks, he thinks the holiday is all about him. Out because I, but the line, there's a direct reference to Christmas and Christ in there. So it's a Christmas movie. I've always said that. But as to Kwanzaa, unless you want to react to that first. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, Kwanzaa. My first thought is you should have Derek get our buddy Phil on the line. <laughs> but I posted on the 15 social media platforms I belong to about Kwanzaa, reaching out. I, I said, I, I, some of you will probably think I'm making a dig here. I'm not. I'm asking a serious question. Who? Who knows anybody, anyone on the planet that celebrates Kwanzaa? And, of course, a subtotal of zero real responses and a bunch of, yeah, what a joke it is responses. Joe, Kamala yep. and her white husband celebrated together as a family. Her white husband celebrates Kwanzaa. There you go. Yeah. So that's two, wow. you know. Wow. There's one then or two people. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, you laid it all out. This mentality that blacks must all be communist leaning, and the precepts of Kwanzaa, basically socialism, Marxism, Alinsky, uh, you know, Lenin, whatever, in disguise. They see through that. And they laugh at it like we do, like Phil would laugh at it like we do. And all, you know, all the black friends that I have, you know, it's a joke. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I have a friend, uh, I have more than one actually, and, um, and I have, you know, a thousand on Facebook. There is that too. So, uh, <laughs> but I have a friend named Walter. And I think he's black. To look at him, you'd think he was black. But then again, he didn't vote for Biden. So I don't think he's really black. I don't think he ain't black, you know. But right. he can call exactly. in and tell us. Like you tease him. Exactly. He ain't black. <laughs> but, yeah, now that you mentioned Walter, hopefully Walter's listening. And God bless you, brother. Sorry to hear the health issues yeah, our... you had lately. But if you're listening, maybe you could call in about this Kwanzaa crap. Yes, our prayers are out for Walter, who's recovering from a hospital um, um, operation, and I don't want to disclose it over the air. But he has, but uh, you know the HIPAA laws prevent me from doing that. You know because I'm a qualified medical person. Yeah, sure. So uh, <laughs> you know I want to play something for you while you're on, Joe. We got no other callers. 
let me uh, let me let you co-host for a little bit until uh, Gary wakes up and calls in. So uh, <laughs> I think it's interesting that the Moscow police chief, not not Russia, Moscow, Idaho, the Moscow police chief says they've caught the killer. All right, he said this. They trailed him as he drove cross country. Investigators in Idaho have announced the arrest of a man accused of killing four college students almost seven weeks ago. Brian Koberger was picked up at a home in Pennsylvania. We are still looking for all pieces of evidence, but we are still looking for the, the weapon. Um, and I will say that uh, we have found an Elantra. Moscow, Idaho Police Chief James Fry, a Hyundai Elantra had been seen near the home where the victims were killed. Explosions have been- I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to make light of a criminal investigation of a brutal criminal activity, but- they, they like evidence and they don't have a motive, but they have a car. They have an Elantra because this guy drove an Elantra and there was an Elantra parked near there. And, you know, it reminds me of the fugitive, you know, the, the guy was there yeah. and then he's not. So he must be guilty. I mean, I hope they have more than that. And I, I wonder if there was a one-armed man nearby, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I love that movie with Harrison Ford. He did a good job. In fact, I'm recording. Uh, there's a channel, M-E, uh, I forget what it stands for, something entertainment, but it shows a lot of old black and white shows. And The Fugitive with Jensen is one of them, and I'm recording and watching episodes of the old Fugitive series that the movie was based on. But this ties to what, I, one of the things I said on Dick Cupke's show, and like you said, listen back on podcasts. Uh, if you missed today's Dick Cupke trigger talk, listen back. But it's not the object. It's the person, the evil person that kills. And if they don't have a gun, they'll use a knife. They'll use a baseball bat. They'll use their hands to strangle someone to death. And in England... I know you know because you were listening to Cupkey, but your audience may not. In England now, it, and in my book, Terror Strikes, the London chapter, I go into all the stabbings because guns are so tight there. But now they're passing a law that all knives have to have a rounded, blunt front. You can't have a pointed <laughs> knife. And like Dick said, have they not heard of a grinder? They could just grind it down. Or you slit someone's throat with the knife. You don't need the sharp, blunt, force, pointy end. Yeah, and in London, like I said on uh, um, um, Abolitionist Roundtable, that's where they arrested a woman for quietly praying, standing and praying in front of a closed abortion clinic, not talking to anybody, not even talking out loud, just standing there praying, and they arrested her and took her away for blocking an abortion clinic that wasn't even open. That's, Not even that's, praying out loud. I saw that video. Somebody videoed it. I actually saw yeah. the woman, saw yep. the cops, saw the arrest. She, yep. he, you know, he interrogated her about what she was doing and she said I was internally praying 
And yeah, exactly. oh my God, that's enough to arrest her. Not even verbalizing a prayer for the those slaughtered, but just being there at like you said, a closed clinic, not harassing anyone. They arrest her. And there's stuff like that in Canada too. And why your interview, if people go back, you did several with Father Pulaski of of Canada who kicked the Nazi fascist uh, presidential police out of his church. Hold on. Please get out. Get out of this property. Immediately get out. Get out of this property. My hero. My hero, right? Amen. Absolutely. Where are the Black Robe Brigade people with backbone in this nation? They're nowhere to be found. They're all knuckling under to the almighty dollar and the state. It's like an article I wrote on liberal religion. Their motto, separation from church to state. And Pope Benedict died today, so I, I posted yeah, about that, Yeah, he was a good one. On he, he was one of the good guys. For this. I'm a real Catholic. Watch for fake Catholic Biden and Pelosi to fall all over themselves oh. to try to <laughs> praise Benedict when they are more like Pope income pope, as I call him, Francis, who's more interested in communism than Catholicism. Okay, Joe, thank yep. you for calling. I appreciate it. We finally have somebody else stepping up to the bat. They're going to fill in for you. I appreciate it. We got Gary from Arizona. Joe, once again, I'll talk to you next year and happy new year to you. All right. Love you, brother. Take care. God bless. Love you too. Gary, before you start, I want to preface talking to you first with something else. I think I know what you called in about, but I lost the chat screen. Uh, Democrat treatment of blacks. Yeah, we can get there. But, you know, I, I just wanted to announce that most of the last year I gave airtime to a number of candidates for office, had them on a lot, promoted them. And uh, I don't think one of them got elected. It's kind of disappointing. And I, I might rethink having people I want to run for election on my show. You know, it might be counterproductive. We didn't have a red wave. In Arizona, we saw corruption on such a scale that it demonstrates the tough position we're in. Now, Democrat Chris Mays supposedly won the Arizona attorney general race by just 280 votes in a statewide election where the voting was obviously screwed up in Maricota, Maricopa County with ballots that were illegible, wouldn't print, that 280 down from 500 plus before the recount is margin of error stuff. Something that demands a revote, not a recount. I and many others believe that the whole state election was stolen and thus the U.S. Senate. Now, Charlie Kirk explained, I heard him explain this on his uh, on his podcast, that if only four more votes per hour per polling place while the polls were open had been Republican, Kerry Lake would be governor. The whole slate would have went Republican in a red state that would have made sense. But no, they got cheated out of it because of not shenanigans, I believe criminal activity. She's yet to prove that in court, but... Anybody can see that when you don't have the right paper for the ballots or the 
machines won't read the ballots and they did the night before something is going on there that needs to be examined and actually we have somebody from arizona calling us right now which is gary hi gary hey partner if yeah, well, hey happy what, kwanzaa what you're, saying, well, what you're saying is absolutely correct i mean the, the election down here was a complete farce um ballots were being thrown all over the place they were taken to strange um, warehouses where they were counted and brought back. There's no chain of custody. Uh, signatures couldn't be uh, verified. Um, this mysterious drawer number three where ballots were thrown in uh, randomly, and apparently there was no divider between drawer number two and drawer number three, so all the ballots got mixed up. And then everybody just gave up and went home because they couldn't vote because 70% or 70 of the um, voting precinct places were non-functional so yeah the whole thing needs to be redone and it's a it's a lie um gary lake should be governor of uh arizona no, no question about it now what i did call about was um this whole idea that uh, the democrats they just abuse the, the blacks in this country this this whole thing about kwanzaa kwanzaa doesn't exist it's just a phantom it's just nonsense and it reminded me of the time that nancy pelosi put on the Kinsey cloth from Africa, a small tribe somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And got and bent down on her knees, and for George Floyd, for nothing else, you know. George That's Floyd, right. Yeah. How embarrassing for for her and the nation that she did this, and and you know it just goes on and on about the complete depravity of their brains and how they think and why they do the things they do. I really despise these guys called Democrats. Yeah, there's. I mean. People want to talk about the uniparty and they disparage the Republican Party. And I, I know Joe was just jumping up and down in his, you know, his seat right now saying, yeah, yeah, that's not fair because, you know, Joe's a Republican. And I got to tell you, everybody I voted for last year or this year, I should say last election. It's not next year yet. Don't want to rush it. But everybody I voted for was a Republican. I wouldn't vote for a Democrat. And you want to call it uniparty. I don't think it's uniparty when you see a lot of the grassroots people we were putting up here in the state of Michigan. And unfortunately, did not get the support of the national party, which, of course, the uniparty. So it's like, do not throw out the uh, baby with the bathwater. Be able to, you know, chew the straw, spit out the sticks. You know, it's just, you just got to keep, uh, keep your options correct. Is that right? Well, you have to fight, fight in every arena you can, physically and mentally and all the others, because there's so much that happens every day. You can't do it all, but you have to just keep fighting because we can't stop. That's not really an option. It might be more comfortable for you, but comfort's not what we're, we need now. We need, we need our battle fatigues on. We need to get up and go. There, there's no laying around anymore. These guys are destroying our children they're twisting their brains and turning them against their own bodies and minds. This is evil incarnate, and it's here now. I mean, what's happening to my nation is just, it's ruining me because I think about it too much. Because the, the depravity, the, the guy, Gary Biden. Yeah, go ahead. I heard Bill Whittle, who is not a notable Christian. I'm not even sure if he is a Christian or not, but I heard him say something effective. This is so evil. This is such an evil versus good. Uh, uh, 
<clears throat> scenario, let's put it that way, battle, that it begs the question, if there's that kind of evil, there has to be that much good. There has This has to be a God versus Satan thing. There's no two ways about it. And that's why I encourage people to get in the fight spiritually and pray. Thanks for calling. I appreciate your call, brother. And you have a Merry Christmas and a <clears throat> happy Kwanzaa. So, yeah. <laughs> you do. And I hope you have a better right. uh, next year than this. Bye. Yeah, amen. Well, folks, thanks for listening to Your American Heritage. We'll, uh, we'll be back next year. And uh, Derek will join us. And we'll have more to talk about. And we'll have interesting guests. And life goes on. So, thank you very much. See you later.